Hey, another great episode of Roundup is coming up next. If you like what you heard, please go online to redsearadio.org and donate, become a monthly sustaining member, and keep us on the air. Thank you and God bless. Good morning. It is Wednesday, February 3rd, 2021. This is the Red Sea Roundup. Thank you for joining us. I cannot believe it's already February. The year just started. Where did January go? I'm your host, Deacon Mike Beauvais. Today, we're going to have a packed show. In our second segment, we'll be talking with Dr. Peter Kwasniewski about his new book, The Holy Bread of Eternal Life, which looks at reverence for the Eucharist and how it needs to be improved. We will also speak with Father uh, Edward Looney about his new book, Meditations After Holy Communion, which sort of segues nicely into that because if we have this great reverence for the Eucharist, what do we do with it after we receive it? How do we honor that blessing that we have received? Also in our first segment, we're going to take a few moments to talk with Dr. Micah Green about the Veritas Forum. But first, as always, we want to welcome everyone listening to us on KEDC 88.5 FM, Hearn, Bryan College Station. Also welcome to our Central Texas listeners on KYAR 98.3 FM, Lorena, Waco. And also our listeners in Palestine on KINF 107.9 FM. As always, or almost always, I'm joined in our studio with by Dr. Thaddeus Bromanski, our general manager. Morning, Thaddeus. Good morning, Deacon Mike. Great to be with you as always, and great to have our in-studio guest, Dr. Mike Green, on in a few minutes. Yes, it's nice of him to join us. Uh, it's always nicer to be able to see someone, although I like doing the telephone interviews. It's nice to see the expressions on someone's face. Indeed, indeed. You that can't way, beat it. I know I said something wrong when their face falls. Uh, Does that ever happen to you? I don't think so. <laughs> I try to have it not happen, but it happens at home a lot, so I have to be careful here on the uh, radio. One of the things that we're going to try to do uh, this year on the Red Sea Roundup is pay a little extra attention to the year of St. Joseph. And one of the ways we're going to do this is by praying the prayer to St. Joseph that Pope Francis has given us for this special year of devotion to St. Joseph. Indeed. So I ask everyone to please join me as we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. O blessed St. Joseph, faithful guardian of my Redeemer, Jesus Christ, protector of your chaste spouse, the Virgin Mother of God, I choose you this day to be my special patron and advocate, and I firmly resolve to honor you all the days of my life. Therefore, I humbly call on you to receive me as your adopted child, to instruct me in every doubt, to comfort me in every affliction, to obtain for me all the knowledge and love of the sacred heart of Jesus, and finally, to defend and protect me at the hour of my death. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We'd like to remind you that making this prayer during the year of St. Joseph 
carries with it a plenary indulgence. Of course, that comes with a caveat that we observe all the rules that go with receiving a plenary indulgence. Indeed. And what are those? Being in a state of grace, receiving the Eucharist, and having gone to confession in a reasonably close time to the act of right. devotion, which right. in this case is this prayer. Yes. So um, a lot of times people fail to remember that there's usually something that they need to get out of the way first before they beg for their plenary indulgence. Right. And indulgences are also not a get out of jail free card. No. Indulgences, when we speak of indulgences, is not denying that Jesus saves all of us by his actions, not ours. But rather, it is an acceptance of the temporal punishment that's due for our actions and uh, the mercy of God, allowing us to waive those if we make some act of penance, such as this prayer. Right. Our sin, those sins have to be forgiven before any kind of indulgence could be you know, applied or, or received. Exactly. That's right. Now, one of the things that um, goes along with this um, year of St. Joseph is probably a little clarification. Uh, we hear saying, the Pope says, you know, we're having the year of St. Joseph, and we go, that's kind of strange. Where did this come from? Right. Well, this is not the first time that the church has dedicated something to St. Joseph's intercession. And uh, St. Pius IX, matter of fact, declared St. Joseph the patron of the entire church. Okay. Back in the 19th century. Okay, so it goes back that that far that he has that patronage. Patronage, yes. But also in uh, 1889... St. Leo XIII, who is much more famous for the social justice teaching in the Catholic Church than mm-hmm. he is for the year of St. Joseph, also emphasized a devotion to St. Joseph in an encyclical called Quam Quam Pluris. Okay. And um, reading the encyclical for me was rather eye-opening because it brought forth that this is not the first year we've had where we've had a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. And uh, this has been a common denominator in the life of human beings. Right. And so every so often the church looks at the state of the world and says, perhaps we need to change our focus. And usually when things go wrong, we turn inwards. Mm-hmm. Oh, woe is me. Mm-hmm. And the church says, no, when things go wrong, we look upward. Mm-hmm. And so Quam um, Quam Pluris reminds us that in looking upward, we have the graces of all these intercessors up in heaven. All these friends. All these friends. The communion of saints. Right, right. And so let's turn our attention upward during this year of St. Joseph. Ask for St. Joseph's intercession. And any time we ask for the intercession of a saint, ultimately what we're asking is for them to lead us to Jesus. That's right. Go to Jesus for me. Go to Jesus You're right for there me. With him in heaven. That's right. right. And ask him that perhaps one day I too might be up there with him. Yes. And, and I think that's a good point to stop and talking about contemplating eternal things, uh, things of ultimate significance to bring in Dr. Micah Green, right? That's right. Good morning, Dr. Micah Green. How are you? I'm doing great. Howdy. I'm glad to be here. 
glad to have you here. As I said, it's nice to have somebody in the studio to talk to. Other yeah. than Thaddeus, of course, I always enjoy talking to sure. Thaddeus. Indeed. We're, we're all tired of Zoom and things like that. Indeed. Yes. Matter of fact, just the other day, I was looking and they said there's a lady in Britain that made 50,000 pounds renting out her goats for the Zoom meetings. <laughs> right. Uh, strange as it is. Now, you're here not to talk about goats on Zoom, but you're here to talk about the Veritas Forum coming up. Yes, for, for listeners, if you haven't heard of the Veritas Forum, this is something that started back in at Harvard uh, decades ago. The idea is to have an event on each big American campus where we show that the Christian worldview is relevant to the life of the mind. So usually we try to have a big event with a big speaker where we talk about um, these big questions of life, of where do we come from, what's our purpose, things like that. This year on Thursday, uh, February 18th at 7 p.m., we will have the Veritas Forum. You can attend both in person at Central Baptists or via Zoom. Our speakers are J.P. Moreland, one of the top Christian philosophers in the country, and Dr. Robert Garcia. Uh, Dr. Moreland's from Biola and Dr. Garcia is from Baylor. And the topic is Beyond Brains, the Case for the Soul. Now, here's the idea. Um, <clears throat> this, this goes back to the long academic question of the problem of consciousness. So, for instance, if I look at, at Deacon Mike, I say, well, what, what am I looking at here? Is this just a collection of molecules and that's it? We actually know that that's not true, even though science may say, I just see you know, uh, a skeleton and muscles and things like that. It, he, there's more to him than just molecules. We know that he actually has a conscious experience. He's a person with agency. And that's a signifier that there really is more to the universe and more to people than just molecules. There is something called a soul. And that speaks to the existence of the supernatural. And that's what this, this talk is going to be all about. This is absolutely fascinating to me because I... I the director of religious education at our church. And one of the difficulties is counteracting this, there is no God because there's science phenomenon that's out there all of a sudden. And so I'm always fascinated when I find new arguments that put that to rest. Because if you really look at the Christian worldview of faith and reason, that, uh, you know, you really cannot make a case that science has all the answers or that there is this materialistic viewpoint of the world which doesn't hold any water. And the Veritas Forum, that's one of the things that it's going to address. That's right. And I'm, I'm a scientist myself. I'm a professor in chemical engineering at Texas A&M. And a helpful way to think of it is science is good at what science is good at, which is figuring out the, the laws and patterns of the material world. But um, our scientific uh, commitments come actually from, they, they can actually be connected to a Christian worldview. The idea that the universe works in understandable and re orderly, repeatable ways, and that our minds can be used to figure out what those, th what those ways are. If you read, you know, Blaise Pascal and Kepler and people like that, and the way they talk about why they do science, they say, I'm figuring out the way that God put the universe together and honoring and glorifying God as I figure out the way that he put it together. Yes, and... Uh until this current age, you often heard scientists talk in terms of God. For instance, mathematics is the language of God. Mm, for sure. And, you know, this sort of has fallen away because we reject that out of hand rather than looking at it. And again, the Veritas Forum is going to help us look at the truth from both a scientific and an exist uh, existential experience that we all have. One, one recommendation I would have for your listeners, if you're interested in attending, 
Um, you can you can uh, of course Google it, and you can find it. the 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 easy URL is tx.ag tex.ag slash veritas twenty one. But here's the thing: it would be great if a whole bunch of Christians came to this event and learned something. But ultimately, this is the sort of event where it would be great for Christians to bring a non-believing friend and have a real conversation. I bet that every one of your listeners has that friend, that friend who's a skeptic, and it would be awkward to invite that skeptical friend to church or something like that. This is the sort of event that you can invite your non-believing friend to. We talk about this hard academic problem, the problem of consciousness and what it points to, and have a real conversation about eternal matters after the event. So that's what I would encourage people to do. Again, it's February 18th. That's a Thursday at 7 p.m., either attending via Zoom or in person at Central. And the reason that Central, of course, is because of COVID-19. So I take it we're taking all the precautions that we can. That's right. Um, Normally, we would have this event on campus. That's what we've done every year before. But um, large events can't really happen on campus this year. Central has been very gracious to a number of student groups in opening up their space. And uh, the main sanctuary at Central is extremely large. And so there will be plenty of space to have social distancing and then even discussion groups once the event is over. And listening to your description of this, uh, it strikes me that probably all of us have had a conversation with someone about our faith and felt unprepared to respond to some of their objections. Right. This would be a wonderful event. To I may not have the answers, but let's go to this because there's going to be some of the answers. Right, right. And in today's age, it's not even just about having the answers. Sometimes it's hard to even get the conversation going, a conversation about eternal things. Um, people talk about sports because they're interesting, but ultimately unimportant. So this, this is a chance to get something interesting and important actually into the conversation. Wonderful. Uh, I encourage everyone that has any interest in learning more about why we believe what we believe and that it's reasonable. And this is the thing that uh, gets me all the time is, you know, religion is seen as this mythical voodoo thing out there. And that's never been what the faith has been all about. The faith has always been about it being reasonable. And um, again, would you remind us when and where? Thursday, February 18th from 7 to 9 p.m. You can attend in person at Central or via Zoom. And the, the easy URL is text.ag slash Veritas 21. Say again. What? It is free, yes. <laughs> and you can show up. Uh, yeah, the, you, that's that, that URL will give you the registration either for Zoom or to show up in person. But it is free, and we're excited to have you all. And uh, Dr. Michael Green, thank you very much for joining us uh, and uh, telling us about this because uh, I am sure there's a whole bunch of people out there like me that are looking forward to this. We're going to have to take a short break. On the other side, we are going to be talking to our two guests, Peter Kwasniewski and uh, Dr. Lu- Father Looney. We'll see you on the other side. And welcome back to the Red Sea Roundup. I'm your host, Deacon Mike Beauvais. And as promised, in a moment, we're going to be talking with Dr. Peter Kwasniewski. And he corrected me on his name. And we're talking about his new book, The Holy Bread of Eternal Life. 
Good morning, Dr. Kwasniewski. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you very much, Deacon, for having me on your on your program. I was uh, checking out your book and find this is such an important topic today. Uh, one of the things that really bothered me when I heard about the Pew Research study that came out a while back about the number of Catholics that do not believe in the real presence. And I think this is part of that whole issue with reverence for the Eucharist. We have lost sight of what it is that we're truly receiving. Mm-hmm. Is that part of what caused you to think about writing this book? Yes, yes, of course. I, I've, been, I've been thinking about, uh, about liturgy for, for, for years, for decades, in fact, um, and learning, obviously teaching myself and, and studying it um, and, and experiencing it in various countries, various forms, um, Eastern, Western, new and old. Um, but it, 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 was, it, it was very disturbing to me, that Pew Research report that you mentioned, um, and, and many other indications like that, that there's a real crisis in, in Eucharistic faith um, in the Catholic Church. It is one of the central mysteries of our faith, um, and there's no, there's no doubt about it. Um, and yet there's so much confusion, uh, so much superficiality. And so, yeah, I really wanted to address that with my book. Who's your target audience for this book uh, when you were writing it who did you think you would like to read it not just you know who's going to read it but who would you like to read this book well i, I don't know if uh, I, I think it's not an exaggeration for me to say that i would like everybody to read this book um but because uh, you know as, as i as i joke with my friends there's something in it to offend everybody I, i'm an equal <laughs> offender um but no but but in, seriously <clears throat> Um, I wrote it in such a way that uh, I present, first of all, a number of chapters where I just delve into the depths of the mystery of the Holy Eucharist, um, with you know, from the Old Testament, the New Testament, uh, from St. Thomas Aquinas, St. Augustine, other fathers of the Church. And there's always so much more we can learn from them, all of us, even if we already have the Orthodox faith, even if we already believe and reverence our Lord. There's so much we can learn to, to deepen our, and nourish our own faith. So, you know, that, that's part of the book. But then there, there are parts of the book that are very challenging towards contemporary liturgical practice and ask, you know, I, I hope penetrating and sometimes uncomfortable questions about why are we doing certain things, you know, if, if we want to to send the right signal, um, give the right message, we need to rethink from the ground up a lot of what we're doing. One of the things that uh, always struck me is I've always come at the faith from an intellectual standpoint first. And one of the most fascinating things for me was learning about uh, Thomas Aquinas and the fact that in spite of all his learning, his primary focus was always the Eucharist. Yes, that's right. He, he, uh, he said 
that he learned more from his hours spent before the tabernacle than from any of the books he read. Um, he also celebrated Mass every morning. In fact, he, he really he, he celebrated Mass and then he assisted uh, immediately at the Mass of his secretary. They, they took turns, you know, so St. Thomas would, his secretary would serve for him and then St. Thomas would serve for his secretary. Um, and he, he did that, you know, every day. Um, and then the last, the very last words he spoke on his deathbed were about the Eucharist as well. So yes, it was always in his heart, always on his mind. Now, in order to view the Eucharist with the proper reverence, that when this is what the book is all about, part of that has to lie in understanding what it is that we're receiving. Do you approach that in your book? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, so, and and in fact, not just what we're receiving, but but who, but most most of all. Um, so yes, the faith of the Church is very clear and has always been very clear from from the apostolic age onwards. You know, when we go, what what Jesus gave us in the Last Supper, um, anticipating His offering of Himself on the cross the next day, was nothing other than Himself as the perfect Lamb of sacrifice, the all-pleasing victim of love um, to the Father. That's what he, that is the gift He left us, so that when we receive Him, we can be most perfectly united to Him in this life and prepared for the life of eternal glory. Um, he wants to be that close to us. He's not somewhere out there, somewhere we can reach Him, maybe vaguely, mentally, or, you know, but, but He wants to be so close to us that He comes to us as food and drink, which we take into ourselves. Um, so yes, I mean, this is, this is the faith of the Church, and it's always been the faith of the Church. Um, the problem is, and I, I, I just say this briefly because maybe you want to follow up with a different question, but um, the problem is that that Catholics in recent decades have generally stopped acting in visible, you know, sensible ways, have stopped acting towards the Eucharist as if they really believed that it was Almighty God, you know, our Lord Jesus Christ present there. Um, under the forms of bread and wine. We, in our traditions for, you know, developed over the centuries, we had developed all sorts of signs, very powerful signs, um, not just for the intellectuals, but I would say even primarily for the uneducated and for the simple people to show the faith. Um, you know, for example, all the, t all the kneeling before the Blessed Sacrament uh, that used to take place. And we need to recover these things because we believe with our bodies, not just with our intellects. And that's one of the things that I think um, is the first thing that you notice is that we go through motions now without feeling the sense that we're supposed to get from those motions. I, when I was going through diaconate formation, one of the things that struck me is, and I do not remember who the quote is from, it said, when you kneel before the Lord, make sure everybody knows who it is that you're kneeling before. Yes, it, it's, uh, you, you know, it, with the Catholic faith, right, I mean, there's this common phrase that people say. They say the Catholic faith is both and, not either or. So um, we, we need to have external uh, symbols and external actions that reflect what we believe, but we also need to have instruction in the faith and catechesis. So we, first people have to learn. They, they need to learn 
you know, through the catechism, but they also need to learn through what they do, through getting on their knees, through, you know, not handling the Eucharist as if it were ordinary food. Um, and so we, we need to have both of these sides. If we just tell people in catechism, you know, oh, Jesus is present, it goes in one ear and out the other. And unless, you know, we have to walk the walk and talk the talk. Well, I think that is, is something that why the liturgy is so important, why it needs to be done with reverence so that people see that the clergy believes that what's happening is happening. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, if, if the, you know, I, I certainly don't mean to inf- offend anyone. I mean, uh, the, you know, I'm sure that there are many, many priests who have very good intentions, whatever they do, but there's there's a tendency there's been a tendency to to make the liturgy very horizontal in in the sense of of focusing making it like a community gathering making it somewhat casual and informal bringing in contemporary styles of music making people very comfortable cushions everywhere you know and and it it's like a living room situation where no one could possibly take seriously the idea that we're present here at the awesome sacrifice that unites heaven and earth, you know, that should bring us trembling to our knees, you know, with, with longing for God. I mean, you would never get, you can't get that out of certain liturgical situations. And that's very much against, uh, you know, the, the, the gift that our Lord wants to give us. Now, one thing that um, I've always wondered about is how much influence we live in a mostly Protestant country. And there's been a lot of interchange in worship, not uh, in the rites, but in people going from one church to another. How much influence do you think that might have on the view of the Eucharist? Yeah. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, it, it does seem to me clear, as, you know, obviously there's been a lot of research done on this question. It seems to me clear that American Catholics have often suffered, well, sometimes they have valiantly fought to retain their identity, their ethnic identity. They've built, they built the parochial school system, which was the envy of the rest of the world. You know, so there were, there were efforts made to retain the purity of the faith um, and the fullness of it. But it's also clear that pro- being a minority and often a looked down upon minority in Protestant America, um, led a lot of Catholics to kind of hide their what was most distinctive about Catholicism, to try to blend in better. Um, and it seems to me that just over the decades, you know, this is kind of the John F. Kennedy phenomenon, but over, over the decades, it seems as if what's distinctive about Catholicism has gotten um, less and less, uh, or more and more neutralized, you know, more and more washed out. Um, and so that's why today, I mean, Cardinal Francis George of Chicago said, these are pretty tough words, but he said that, uh, he said that American Catholics are Protestants who go to Mass on Sundays. Um, and that, that's, a, that's a tough thing to, to say, but it's, you know, his, what he was getting at there is if you were to stop them and ask them what they thought about a lot of things, it would be hard to tell the difference. Um, so, I mean, of course, the flip side of that is there are so many great Protestant converts to the faith. I mean, obviously, Scott Hahn comes to mind, but there is a whole host of them. You know, you look in the Ignatius Press catalog, and the Protestants who, as you said before about yourself, who 
sort of, they're more intellectual and they grapple with these questions. They grapple with scripture and the church fathers like Newman did uh, in the 19th century. And they come into the church and they're on fire and they're so excited, you know, and often when they, when they hit the regular Catholic parish, they realize the people don't know any of this stuff, you know, that they've been learning that, that made them, you know, so excited to be Catholic. So, yeah, so there's a lot of work to be done uh, on all levels. Yes. One thing that struck me is you were talking about the Mass and uh, in certain instances it appearing like a living room experience, which brings to mind the fact that we're right in the middle of this COVID-19 pandemic. Mm, mm. And Mass, for a lot of people, luckily in Texas, we're not suffering through this as much as other places. Access to the Mass has been restricted to online. And... I see this as a double-edged sword. We have certain instances where people are going to be so hungry for the Eucharist that their appreciation is going to increase. But we might also have those people that see this now as this is good enough. What are yeah. your views on that? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So I do talk about COVID in the book, um, you know, in a, in, a, in a few places in the book. Uh, I... Yeah, I think, okay, so generally speaking, I think a lot of the reactions that that have been made were were mistaken in their severity, um, and that we're going to be suffering from that for a long time. But but granted that these decisions were made, um, especially in the period of, the, of, of so-called lockdown, which is still happening in Canada and in Europe much more than it is in the United States, um, so we certainly have something to be grateful for here. Um, but in that in this period of lockdown or let's say restrictions, um, I I do think that there's going to be that that double effect you talked about. The the Catholics who were maybe going to church for social reasons or out of habit, out of routine, or because it made them feel good about themselves, you know, or something. I mean, or just they, they've they've always done it. It's part of their routine. The, those people are going to be shaken very hard by this, and they might stop going to church. They might just simply fall away because it seems to have been evacuated of its of its meaning for them. And sometimes they've gotten the signal that it's really it really can't be that important if the bishops are saying that everybody's dispensed from it. Um, on the other hand, the people who really who have a better understanding of the importance and centrality of Mass and of the Holy Eucharist are. I think are are going to be upset about this to, to one degree or another, and they and they're going to try the best they can to get back to church, to get to adoration, to get to confession, you know, and um, and to find the priests and the parishes that are the most committed to finding solutions, you know, at, in this in this crisis. Um, so yeah, so I think that the fa it's going to be like a storm that comes through, right? When a storm comes through, the strong branches in a sense, get stronger because they withstood it, and the weaker branches, you know, fall away. They, they get torn off. Um, and we don't, want any, we don't want to lose any of our brothers and sisters, but I'm, I'm afraid that the, you know, the, the statistics are showing that that's what's happened. So Before so we, we get to, to the end, <laughs> yes, certainly need to pray for everyone to get a new appreciation for the real presence and the need for reverence for the Eucharist. Before we get towards the end of the interview, I want to make sure that we tell people where they can get the book. And again, we're talking to Dr. Peter Kwasniewski about his book, The Holy Bread of Eternal Life. Where can people get a copy of this? 
Yes. So uh, they, they can get it on Amazon, as you can get almost anything. But, uh, but it's from Sophia Institute Press. And if you go to, to uh, the sophiainstitute.com website, you can very easily find it there, the Holy Bread of Eternal Life. Um, they often have good sales, too, uh, like Lenten sales and things of that sort. So I definitely, you know, I, I, I know some people prefer to avoid Amazon, so you can, you can get it straight from Sophia. Um, also, I just mentioned that on the page for the book, there's a, there's a nice panel discussion that um, three, three of us had uh, a little over a week ago, Dan Burke, uh, Janet Smith, and myself talking about um, about similar sorts of things that you and I have been talking about, but we went on for an hour and a half. <laughs> so for people who want to hear more, they can find it there. Um, now, in your uh, book, I'm assuming we have a hope-for result when people buy this book and read it, which is that they gain a new reverence for the Eucharist mm-hmm. if it's been lacking or inspires them to rediscover their reverence for the Eucharist. Any hints as to how the readers should approach this? Yes. Yes. Well, I, I, what, one, I agree with what you're saying. Exactly those outcomes are you know, my, my heartfelt intention and, and hope. Um, but I would, I would add a, a further dimension, too, which is the dimension of reparation. Um, I talk about that somewhat in the book, and I, I include Bishop Athanasius Schneider's act of, of Eucharistic reparation at the end as an appendix. Um, the point of reparation being that as we become aware of the magnitude and the, the marvelousness, uh, the miracle, really, of, of the Holy Eucharist, um, we, we should also become, we should also do penance and and pray and and fast and in in reparation for sins committed against the Holy Eucharist. Um, and again, this is not a first in church history. You know, during the Protestant uh, revolt period, there was there were there were countless sins against the Holy Eucharist um, committed by both Catholics and Protestants. Though on the one side from indifference, mostly, and on the other side from hatred. Um, and so, you know, at that period, there were many communities of monks and nuns who were making reparation um, as a way of saying to the Lord, you know, we, we love you and we're sorry that these things are happening. Um, and we want to, you know, we want to be uh, your true disciples and your true friends. Um, so I, I think that's really important. This is a very personal thing. And I think that for all of us, if we ha- truly have a reverence for the Eucharist, that there's always this awareness that we're not truly worthy to receive the Eucharist at any point. Yes, yes, we're not, we're not absolutely worthy, you know, and only God is worthy of God. Um, yeah, the, 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 the point for us is to cleanse ourselves of, of any grave sins that could impede our friendship, our union with God, and in that sense we can be worthy of it. But that uh, hints at that need for reparation, that need for penance for the yes, times and, and that we have failed to give the reverence that, you know, we're talking about, you know, because all of us at some point or another could have been more reverent when we were in the Lord's presence. That's that's right. That's right. So, yeah, so this is definitely not meant to scare people or to, you know, to make them depressed or anything. It's on the contrary. It's to, you know, it's to set a fire um, in, in our bosoms and really to, to make us fervent and zealous. Um, and that's, you know, that's what our Lord wants from us. And he, he will give us the grace if we ask him for it.
Again, I'm speaking with Dr. Peter uh, Kwasniewski about his book, The Holy Bread of Eternal Life. And uh, we're going to have to wrap up this portion of the interview. Uh, Father uh, Peter, uh, Dr. Peter, I want to thank you for being on the show. I hope that everyone listening buys a copy of this and in reading it gains a new appreciation for Jesus' presence in the Eucharist and that we discover a new reverence, especially in our parishes as a whole. Amen. Yes, thank you. Thank you for being on and... uh, I'm, uh, thank you for uh, uh, sharing your book with us. Thank you so much. God bless. God bless. And now we're on the phone with Father Edward Looney about his book, Meditations After Holy Communion. Father Looney, are you there? I am. And, you know, how great it is to have two interviews back to back about the Holy Eucharist, and one of them is about making reparation. And then what we're going to talk about is how to better engage those moments after Holy Communion, how to pray and meditate. And I thought this was a very good uh, combination of books to talk about because if we gain this new reverence for the Eucharist or recapture that reverence for the Eucharist, how do we... Go forward with that. And I thought your book would be a perfect uh, segue from that uh, to uh, talking about after we receive the Lord, what do we do then? Yeah, you know, and so it's about treasuring that moment. So uh, we go up, we receive Holy Communion, and we go back to the pew. Well, What do we do after that? And, you know, for some listeners, they might have a prayer book, and they've been saying the same prayer for years. And that's the case for me. After I'm done purifying the vessels at Mass, I'll often quietly pray the Anima Christi. It's just a prayer that I was taught as a young boy to pray after after receiving Holy Communion. So what I wanted to do in meditations after Holy Communion was to really guide people Uh, into meditation. So I share a little story, kind of give the background, and then I ask a few questions. And so you just sit with those questions, and you talk about those questions with the Lord, and then you enter into a a short little prayer. I I script one, but then hopefully maybe it'll even lead you deeper and further uh, as you give voice to your own words in prayer. Now, you mentioned that Part of this is uh, part of your personal experience, uh, your prayers after communion, and uh, how some of them at times were wrote. You had a prayer that you said all the time, but the problem with you know praying the same thing all the time sometimes it becomes just the motion rather than the intent. So your book helps us, I take it, to think more about what it is that we're trying to accomplish. Yeah, definitely. And you know what? I took my cue um, from a Jesuit priest uh, of the early 1900s. He was probably one of the most popular Jesuits uh, in the first half of the 20th century. His name was Father Daniel Lord. And I just randomly happened upon his book as I was doing some research. I was wanting to write something about Mary and the Eucharist, and I was going through a library in that section. And I happened upon a book of Father Lord's, and it was called Christ in Me. And I said, boy, Christ in me. 
while the Blessed Virgin had Christ in her, maybe this somehow relates to the Blessed Mother. And I opened it up and it was meditations after Holy Communion that Father Lord would deliver these when he would preach at convents of religious sisters or whatever. And, and so he compiled all of them into a little book. And uh, they were very beautiful. And what I happened to find were 12 meditations of the, you know, maybe 50 in the book, 12 of them focused on the Blessed Mother. And, and I was able to use that. I actually wrote my paper specifically on Father Lord and his meditations. And, and uh, yeah, going back to the rote prayer, like we have those prayers and that's good. And so now it's taking that prayer and going into a dialogue with the Lord, allowing our heart to speak to the Lord's heart. And, um, you know, heart speaks to heart. That was the motto of Cardinal Newman. And that's really what I think we can do after Holy Communion, because it's such an intimate moment in which we have union with God. One thing in the liturgy, it calls for silence after the reception of Holy Communion. How important is that at Mass when we do have silence for a brief moment of time for people to do this? Yeah, silence is critical. It's important. And, and Cardinal Seurat writes about this in his book, uh, The Power of Silence. But uh, you know, we need to have those moments. Um, and, uh, you know, not not to say anything bad, but sometimes in our parishes, we consume the moments that could be silent with noise. And, you know, we're making a joyful noise to the Lord. We're singing songs, we're singing hymns, but there should be a few moments of that reverential silence so that we can actually ponder and be still. You know, God speaks to us in the silence. That's what, that's what uh, I think it's in the book of Kings. You know, they say, God God wasn't in the earthquake, he wasn't in the fire, but he was in the whisper of the wind. And so we need the moments of those silence to hear the whisper of God deep within us. Now, in the book, you provide for the Sundays during the liturgical year sort of guides for us to utilize in this meditation, in this prayerful experience how did you come up with those? Yeah, so, um, you know, I'd like to say that I tried to model it after each, you know, liturgical reading. But the, the problem is, is when you're writing one book for an entire year is that we're on a three-year liturgical reading cycle. So um, basically, I tried to tailor each, you know, season with the theme or the focus of that particular season. So Advent, really awaiting the Lord's coming and his return. Um, ordinary time, just regular themes, ordinary themes that we think of during the season of Easter, um, you know, to reflect upon uh, the Easter event with Christ and the apostles celebrating the Eucharist, all that. But, you know, I know that during Easter we celebrate First Communion. And so I kind of had one on you know, remembering your first communion and treasuring that moment and, and what was it like? You know, I, I've read some of the saints and I wrote a piece on this um, for Catholic Exchange a few years ago. It was about 
St. Therese's First Holy Communion and kind of her experience of that. And I wrote that as a way for us to share that with our young people, the second graders, to say, well, what you're doing is something special and you should have, you know, this moment of preparation as you've had. And, and how are you taking it seriously? Don't let this just be another day, but let this be a day that changes every day. So, you know, I, I put that in there. If I, by the end of ordinary time, our readings are focusing on the last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. And so kind of focusing, you know, one of the meditations is on our last Holy Communion and reflecting about that, thinking about our viaticum, our food for the journey and, and uh, what that will be like. You know, there was one time I gave communion to a guy on Sunday, distributed communion, and you know, he ended up Monday having a stroke, was in the hospital for weeks, was not able to eat, and then he died. Well, that last Holy Communion was his, you know, the last time he came to Mass. That was his last time of Holy Communion. So even anticipating that, asking the Lord to, to help us to be aware of that moment and to really realize that any communion could be our last. I think that's a beautiful image the extension between thinking of our first Holy Communion when we receive communion each Sunday, uh, you know, thinking back, you know, how important was it for us to receive this and how important is it for us to receive him now? But also, if it's the last, how am I receiving it? That's such a beautiful way of looking at it. Well, I think that the missionaries of charity in their convents, they have that line, oh, priest of God, say this mass as if it was your first mass, your last mass, your only mass. And what greater appreciation would we have for Sunday mass, for daily mass, if we kept that at the center of our minds? I think that would really help us to really appreciate the Eucharist. And one of the reasons I, I wrote this book during the pandemic, during quarantine, when we were all shut down and sh sheltering at home and all that stuff. And, and one of the reasons I wrote it, it was on my mind for years. I had, the, I had a skeleton of the manuscript and I said, this is the time for this book, because as we come out of the pandemic, as we begin to return to mass, you know, we're fearful that lots of people have become complacent, that that they're going to, you know, not come back to Mass because they've just been watching it online and they're okay with that. And maybe they don't appreciate the Eucharist as, as they ought. And, and so I really wanted this book to become a way in which we kind of restore and bring back and reignite that Eucharistic devotion among our faithful people uh, as we enter out of the pandemic, hopefully sooner than later. You know, it's still ongoing yes. and whatnot, but... A reminder to all our listeners, I'm talking to Father Edward Looney about his new book, Meditations After Holy Communion. Father Looney, where can our listeners get a copy of this book? Yeah, so it's uh, published through Sophia Institute Press, who ironically publishes the uh, book of the other individual you spoke about. So uh, when you go to Sophia Institute Press, you can just order both of them at the same time. Otherwise... You know, I think there's something to be said about supporting your local Catholic bookstores. They need you to go in and they need you to buy books from them. So it's easy to run to Amazon. But if you've got a local Catholic bookstore, perhaps support them so that they can keep their lights on, so that they can be a, a place that, that we can still have in the future to get our Catholic needs 
um, when we need it in a pinch. Amazon takes two days, but I can go to Green Bay where I live and buy a book and, and have it right away, actually. And that's an interesting reminder that, you know, we're, it's up to us to support our local businesses and our local parishes. And one of the ways we can do that is by doing things like this. If you have a book that you would really like to read, check out your local Catholic bookstore and see if they have it. And if not, they can yeah. probably order it for you. Yeah, and that's the other thing. Ask them. Say, hey, can you get this book? I'm sure that that they will be able to. And it's just us as Catholics helping other Catholics. and That's what it's all about. One other thing that I wanted to talk about, we, we had talked a little bit about uh, the individual um, meditations uh, based on the liturgical seasons. How important is it um, for people coming out of this pandemic who may not, having watched it on TV, been as aware of the flow of the liturgical seasons, that through meditating on receiving the Holy Eucharist, get back into the flow of what the church life really looks like. Yeah, you know, I I encourage people to use this book. You know, it's called Meditations After Holy Communion. And, you know, I don't think that you really need to use it after Holy Communion. I use it for that purpose. But I think that if we begin to enter again into prayer ourselves, and so if you're watching Mass on, on the TV or on the computer, well, use this for after your spiritual communion. But I think if we want people to come back to Mass and, you know, they're out of the flow, well, what are you doing right now to support yourself spiritually? You're listening to Catholic radio if you're listening to this. But what, what else are you doing? How are you praying in your daily life? And so just make sure that there is the primacy of the spiritual in your life. And uh, if you're in touch with God in daily prayer, through meditation, through reading the scriptures, praying the rosary, the divine mercy, whatever way, well, then you're not going to lose touch with the mass. You're not going to lose touch with your faith. So, so I just encourage people to keep on praying and uh, finding those moments each and every day to, to talk to their God. Because when we talk with God after communion, that's communing with God. When we talk to him throughout the day, that's our prayer to God. You mentioned that due to the pandemic, you thought that this was a wonderful time to finish up this book. And uh, I suspect that several people because of the pandemic have finished up books that might not have gotten written because of the pandemic. I always see this as, you know, there's always a blessing hitting, hidden in every disaster. And uh, do you see your time to be able to write this book as a blessing? Yeah, most definitely. And I think a lot of people, they experience lots of blessings or graces. You know, it, it was a difficult year for all of us, I know, and, and still is for some. And, um, but you, you look at the little blessings that have come out of it. How can you be grateful? How can you give thanks to God? Well, maybe you started cooking more meals at home. Maybe you picked up a hobby or you started writing, you started playing music. Like those are little graces that if we didn't have those moments to slow down and that's what we had, we were told, stay home, you know, whatever. And as we did that, 
Well, then we were able to kind of slow down in our own life. Pope Francis, he just said, you know, I've prayed more in the past year because I've had more time for prayer because of the pandemic. So how are we using the time that God has given us? And for me, I used it to write that book. You know, how have you used the time uh, right now? Which brings us back to what we were talking about just a little earlier. With that extra time, it would also be a perfect time to order this book and begin reading it, even if you're in an area where you're not yet able to attend Mass. Yeah, definitely. I think that the book is supposed to teach you how to pray and talk to God. And so if you do that after communion or if you do that in your own private prayer, you know, I I have different visions how people could use it. Like I envision families maybe reading the little anecdote or story uh, on the way to Mass. And maybe as they go home from Mass, they discuss those questions together and they have that family prayer. So maybe this book can be used for family prayer. Maybe you use it for your own personal prayer once you get to church and you read, you know, the, the paragraph before mass and then you do the other stuff after, after Holy communion, or maybe you stay back for a few minutes after mass, or perhaps it's after making a holy hour at the adoration chapel that you use the book. You know, there are many different ways that the book really could be utilized. That was actually one of the things I thought when I saw the title of the book is that, you know, so often we rush out of mass and have other things that we need to do. And this book would be a wonderful way of reminding us perhaps to stay in the pew while everybody else is leaving and spend a little bit of time reflecting with the help of the book on what actually just occurred. Yeah, that's what I share in the introduction. That was kind of, you know, that wasn't my practice growing up. I wasn't taught that, but I began to see it done. And so I said, oh, there must be something to this. And uh, and so spending a few minutes after mass and prayer or, you know, quietly praying after Holy Communion, those are those are powerful moments. And we shouldn't miss the opportunity to to really become aware of the fact that God, who is Emmanuel, that God who dwells among us, who is with us, that he really is with us sacramentally, that though we were not worthy for him to enter under our roof, there he is. He's made his home within us as we gave our amen and received the Lord in Holy Communion. And doing that in a way will foster what we were talking about in the earlier segment, that needed reverence for the Eucharist by contemplating our reception of Jesus in the Eucharist, it helps us grow in reverence for every time we go up to receive him. Correct. And, uh, you know, that's one of the meditations that I offer. I think it's at the beginning of Advent. Like, how are you, how did you prepare for mass today? How, how are you prepared to receive Jesus? You know, what are you thinking about as you walk up in the communion line? Are you thinking about the Super Bowl that's going to be coming up or, you know, a football game or what you got next on the day dinner at the local restaurant? Or are you really thinking holy thoughts? Oh, here's Jesus. Jesus, I I want my heart to be prepared for you. Well, that's what we really want. That's what we hope. And so that's my goal, that like I can help people to direct their focus more to the Lord through this book. One of the things I've always thought is when I talk to people about the fast before Mass, you know, and people 
talk about, you know, well, it used to be this long, it used to be this long and this long. And the thought always comes to mind, it doesn't matter how long it is, it's thinking, why is it that I'm doing this? And I think in part, your book also, the meditations, you know, why am I needing to meditate on this? What is it going to change in my life? Yeah, why do you meditate? Well, because God wants to speak to you. God wants to speak to your heart. He wants to invite you to conversion of life, to think about things in new ways. God wants to reveal things to us. You know, we we can really get a sense of God speaking to us. But in order for him to speak, we have to make room for him. We have to give him the time of day to speak. And so uh, that's why little prayers after communion, that time for just that closing our eyes and meditation and talking to the Lord, that's that's why it's so important. And this is why uh, I think I would strongly encourage our listeners to go ahead and order the book or buy the book at your local Catholic bookstore. Again, it's uh, Meditations After Holy Communion by Father Edward Looney, and it is uh, published by Sophia Institute. Uh, Father Looney... In closing, what is it that you would like the listeners to walk away with your discussion of this book and your writing it? Yeah, that uh, every time we receive Holy Communion is a blessing, and uh, don't take that blessing for granted. I think we realized that during COVID when people actually couldn't come to Mass and receive the Eucharist. And so always... um, be grateful. So I want to help people be moved to give thanks to God for the fact that they received Jesus in Holy Communion. And uh, so we give voice to that uh, through this book and the meditations therein. Father Looney, thank you very much for being on. I hope our listeners order your book because I think it's a wonderful aid for all of us. I thank our listeners for tuning in today. Uh, Next week, Gene Wilhelm will be your host on the Red Sea Roundup. Remember to tune in for that. Until then, when considering the many ways in which you might share your time, talents, and treasure with the people of God, always rounds up. Rumors and talking.